This is Work of the Beat. Thursday, June 4, 2020. I'm Kevin Coney. Glad you can join us. Coming up on the show, Paul Hagan, the Hall of Fame baseball writer, will join us to talk about the discussion on whether the sport will play on in 2020. Some mixed messages coming. Some people thinking, yeah, we're not that far away. And um, some others who are not as optimistic. So we'll have that coming up from Paul as we uh, continue here on a Thursday as we start to get word. Mike and I will talk a little later. The NBA's plan has come forward a little closer and uh, we're getting a better idea on where it could be going. 22 teams in Orlando. Uh, some of the ideas about you know creating a home court advantage that's not there are absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but we'll talk to uh, Mike and I'll talk about that. Talk about where baseball's going. We'll talk about some of the other topics of the day as well. Uh, coming up in the next couple weeks, uh, we've reached out to a number of people. We're hoping to get them on as guests. One, Yuki Washington has agreed to be on the show. Uh, so has Jim Gardner, as we told you before. Uh, obviously, with the news guys and everything that's going on right now, uh, it's a question of trying to set things up and make it where uh, it works with their schedules, which are right now in constant flux given what's the state of the world um and we're trying to get some more of our sports guests on as we start to get an idea whether um when things are starting it looks like college football is on its way back uh obviously most of them taking the cue on the um accelerated schedule that uh that has gone on um with the idea of you know semesters being pushed into august ending around Thanksgiving uh, or some going to online classes after the holiday, uh, after the Thanksgiving break, eliminating fall break. So it looks like college football is back. We're going to have David Hale uh, from ESPN on uh, to discuss that. Uh, that might be Tuesday. And then next Thursday, uh, we're going to actually honor Bernard Fernandez, uh, the former Daily News writer who is going into the bo- was scheduled to go into the Boxing Hall of Fame. Uh, this week with um, everything going on. But when we come back, uh, we will talk to Paul Hagan, the longtime writer for the Daily News, the Inquirer, uh, I'm sorry, the Daily News and MLB.com, the J.G. Taylor Spink Award winner uh, will join us. We'll also talk about his business and that getting started and what it's like to try to start a business in a pandemic. That's next as Working the Beat continues on this Thursday Glad you could join us here. We'll be right back. Looking to reach the sports fans of Philadelphia in a brand new way. This is Kevin Cooney. Each week, the Working to Be podcast with Mike Kern and I brings the hottest topics into this sports crazed town with the people and the events that shape the landscape. Now, your business could connect with those people by advertising on the Working to Be podcast. Join us at 267-546-7277 or email us at workingthebeat at gmail.com to find out how you can reach out to this growing audience. It's the best sports talk in Philadelphia, and you can be a part of it. That's 267-546-7277 or workingthebeat at gmail.com to join the Working the Beat podcast family. And joining us now, uh, honored to have him on, uh, one of, well, 
He's been honored in a, in the Hall of Fame as the J.G. Taylor Spink Award winner back in 2013, has worked for the Daily News and for uh, MLB.com, uh, and currently setting up shop, literally. He is at the shop right now <laughs> for Chaps Pit Beef down in media. Uh, it's media, correct, Paul? Yeah, media Pennsylvania. In media Pennsylvania. Joining us is the one, the only Paul Hagan. Paul, how are you? I'm great. Hi. Gav, hi, Michael Jack. I'm drooling. I got stuff <laughs> no. running down my chin. <laughs> thinking, thinking about July 7th. We should July be- 7th is our soft opening, hopefully, if all goes well. Um, it hasn't all gone well up till now, obviously, but uh, yeah. well, we're making progress and looking forward to it. Let, let's start with that. How do you set up a business in a pandemic at this point? Well, we were, uh, we were actually pretty close to the end of setting it up uh, to the point where it was really too late to back out, I guess. Uh, we were in the process of hiring and training people, and we had to put that on hold for a couple of weeks, but we're back uh, hiring. If anybody wants to work for CHAPS, please reach out to us, um, and we're uh, training, and uh, hopefully we'll start our training here in um, media on June 22nd, and hopefully our soft opening will be July 7th. And the, the actual location in media, do you want to give it? Uh, it's 1080, 1083 West Baltimore Pike, but the easiest way to say it is it's where the Grand Run Mall used to be. Okay. So go there. You, if, do, you, do, you do realize if you were in Northeast Philly, Kevin and I would be working. Well, there. that's we got our eye on, our, on that for our second location, Northeast <laughs> Philly. I'm, I'm there, man. <laughs> uh, you know, but – but obviously, I mean, when you say you were you were close, I mean, you were starting to hire at that yeah. point, and then the world stops for the pandemic, and now this week, obviously, there's another factor in a lot of areas where right. you know, the world has stopped because of of, of the unrest. Um, kind of, what kind of an emotional roller coaster has this been for you? Well, I was just listening to a Zach Brown band song the other day that said. You got to remember, you're not the only ship out on the ocean. So, yeah. uh, you know, clearly it's it's been tough for us, but uh, it's tough for everybody in the world right now. So, um, you know, we'll we'll deal with it as best we can, do the best we can, and that's all there is. Jim Jim Murray, the great Jim Murray, had had a line, Paul. Life is an audible. Mm-hmm. Whenever whenever something would happen, he would just look at me and say, Mike, life's an audible. I'm yep. like, oh, okay, <laughs> it's 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 true, and and we're doing a lot of checking off the line of scrimmage. I can I can promise you that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Paul, let's get in. Let's get into some baseball talk. Obviously, you know the, the players want to play 114 games. The owners are now talking 50. Uh, there's questions on how much is going to get split among the two. Um, you know, obviously with the money being tight. Um and, and no fans appearing to be in sight going in the ballparks. Uh, is 2020 really almost at a point where beyond salvage at this point? Well, I mean, it certainly looks that way. You, you would like to think that uh, that there is there's always, and I've covered baseball for over 40 years, so I've seen a lot of brinksmanship in my life. Uh, I'm not sure this is brinksmanship. Uh, it feels a little different in that sense. And, you know, we all remember what happened when they uh, tried to play chicken in 1994. It uh, cost the World Series. So there is some precedent that they will not get this done. Um, 
I just, I just think there's, there's two really big issues right now, um, beyond obviously the money, which is, is the holdup. Um, and the first one is the, the history of acrimony between owners and players. Um, I had allowed myself to think at some point that, you know, Bud Selig, for all his faults, I think convinced the owners at one point that they could all make a lot more money, the owners could make more money, and the players could make more money if they kind of got along a little bit. And that worked pretty well for a while. Uh, but I think what, what happens in situations like this is that uh, one side gets greedy. I think, the, in my opinion, the owners have gotten greedy um, and a little bit arrogant, and um, they are trying to push this as far as they can. I think this started long before the pandemic, by the way. I think it, it was evident in the last negotiation for the CBA. Um, so, now, so now we're at a point where um, the players had already agreed that they would take less money based on there being less games played. If, if 81 games were played, they'd take half their salary. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the owners came back and said, well, but if there are no fans in the stands, you need to take a bigger pay cut because we're losing 40%. And in so many words, the players said, well, okay, um, we are not going to take your word for that because we don't trust you. And there is a lot of history that explains why the players don't trust the owners. Uh, they said, we would like to, in, in so many words, we'd like to see your books. And the owners have always said, no, we're not going to open our books. So I think that's a, a big stumbling block that's going to be really hard to overcome. And then the second thing is just what what is – what are we going to do here? As I understand it, if a player tests positive, then they just go away, but everybody else keeps playing. I mean, from from what I heard back when we heard from the CDC, if you test positive, you're supposed to quarantine for 14 days, and so are the people around you. <clears throat> so I'm not really sure if, if that's even a viable uh, way to go forward because you know somebody's going to test positive. And, you know, the other part of this, too, is the fact that if you think about it, <clears throat> there, there, there's there's no wiggle room in this schedule. You know, e- even if they come back on the 4th of July, which looks doubtful now since we're a month away, there's no wiggle room for one team having to sit out 14 days or, or mix and match players for 14 days or whatever. It just gets to a point where it becomes almost impossible to get it in by the time they want to get it in, which is middle of November tops because they don't want to risk a second wave. I think that um, I don't, and I don't blame MLB and the owners for doing what they can to try to play some semblance of a season. Um, I know there's a lot of money involved, um, but I think that, when it got to the point where it came down to money, they sort of lost the high ground. Mm-hmm. If they had, if they had just stuck from the beginning with, okay, here's our plan. If all goes well, and then if that didn't happen, then we'll go to another plan. Um, with the with the understanding that it might just be better not to play a season this year. And I think if you if you do it from the high moral ground standpoint, you can get away with that. But it's too late for that now, Mike. Yeah, either of you guys comment because I'm trying to understand some of this. I read a story yesterday, I believe on ESPN, that said if if they're at an impasse, the owners can can put in a 50 game season. 
I'm I'm trying to comprehend. Now, I mean, if they now, don't the way the way it was written on that March agreement, Paul, correct me if uh-huh. I'm wrong. MLB believes they have they have the sole authority on how many games are played. Correct, Paul? Okay. I think I think they claim that right. I'm not sure legally that's true. Right. I, I do know from from being involved in previous negotiations, uh, both with baseball and in the newspaper guild, that uh, an impasse one side can't unilaterally unilaterally declare an impasse. Okay. I, be- I believe uh, I believe it has to be an actual impasse, uh, and then that does give management some authority to institute unilaterally institute some things. Yeah, okay. Can, can either of you guys to comment? I think it was the Cubs owner or president. I'm not sure if I got that right. Who basically came out the other day and said, we don't make as much money as you think. All our money goes back into the team. But when somebody says something like that, that that's, that's like kind of not helping. Right. I'll, I mean, I'll let Hagen take this one. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I, the story I always like to tell is, and I believe it was in the uh, classic baseball book, uh, the Boys of Summer by Roger Kahn, which came out many, many, many years ago. Uh, he covered the Dodgers in the 50s. And when he wrote the book many years later, he was talking to Buzzy Bavese, who worked for the Dodgers at the time. And Buzzy Bavese said to him something to the effect of, remember when Dodgers owner Walter O'Malley used to say he lost a million dollars? Well, what, what Walter really meant was that he made $8 million the year before and only $7 million this year. Yeah. Um, baseball is a wash in money. Um, I mean, I would be, I haven't really put a pencil to it, but I saw the letter that John Middleton sent uh, to the employees the other day claiming the Phillies are going to lose a hundred million dollars this year. Um, I'm sure they're going to lose money, but I would really like to get my calculator out and see if I can figure out how it adds up to a hundred million dollars. But why would they say stuff like that though, Paul, if they know that people like you or a lot of people are just going to say, you know, you're, you're lying. Well, I mean, I can't say they're lying because I right, can't yeah. see their books. They're private right, corporations, yeah. and their their fallback is going to be, well, there are things that you just don't know sure. uh, that you don't understand. Of course, I'm not going to tell you what they are, but right. you, you just, I mean, it's like when the Forbes uh, list of the franchise values and revenues comes out, and the owners all say, oh, this is way off. They don't know what they're talking about. But then they don't give you the information to correct it either. So. Well, and, and let me... On the Tom Ricketts comment, okay, with the Cubs. Tom's right. Do you have, like, is it like Scrooge McDuck and you have, like, a big pile of cash that you could dive into just sitting in the office? Well, no, maybe not. Maybe the cash on hand's not there. But the franchise value is where the cash comes for owners, okay? So that's one thing. They're playing a semantics game. Do they have, they're losing money in a sense of, they're not going to be making the money, as Paul said, that they would have made last year, but they're not, none of them are going to fold. So the liquidity, it, that's what he's trying to address. Yeah. And what you're saying, Kevin, his franchise might have went up in value $100 million. Yeah, he's trying to address the idea. But but here's the other part, and, and Paul, you could chime in on this. You know, they, they make a lot of money from non-baseball streams, okay? Um you know, Matt, Matt Gelb had a story on the Athletics website uh, this week about, you know, the Phillies are part owners in Comcast uh, or NBC Sports Philadelphia. They have a, a share in it, and they get some money off of that. They get, 
you know, the Cubs just started their own cable network the, that, you know, that you get subscription fees from a lot of cable companies and satellite companies and all that. Uh, you have business developments and all, all of that. Now, some of them have overly extended themselves. And the Cubs are, I think, a prime example of that with all the business development they've done around Wrigley Field. They've started Marquee, their new network this year. They may have gone a bit over the edge. Maybe a team like the Marlins has gone a bit over the edge because, uh, you know, they overextended just as owners to buy the club. Paul, how many clubs do you think are in that kind of a, a mode right now that may have extended themselves too far? Uh, again, you know, they don't uh, allow us to peek into their business. No, and that, that's much, never happened. Yeah. Uh, my, my working theory is that um, some teams make a lot of money. Some teams make a lot, a lot, a lot of money. I don't think any team is going broke. I don't think any team loses money these days. Um, again, this is a different era, but, but another story I like to tell is that in spring training of 1993, uh, I was talking to Bill Giles, who was the president of the Phillies at the time. And he said, you know, people think we make so much money. We have to draw 2 million people just to break even this year. Of course, in 93, the Phillies went to the world series, uh, drew, I think 3.2 million people. And at the end of the year, Bill said, you know, people think we make a lot of money, but we just barely broke even this year. <laughs> so the, the following the following spring, I was talking to Jim Fregosi, who was the manager of the team, and I told him that story, and he laughed, and he said, well, Bill was telling the truth. And I said, well, how is that even possible? He said, well, after the owners all gave themselves each a $7 million bonus, they broke even. <laughs> it, my, my theory is you don't get to be John Middleton by being stupid about things. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I mean, I'm not saying they're making – you know, uh, Bill Gates money, but they ain't lose. You know, they're not in this because they're stupid and they're losing money. At- well, I, I do believe they're losing money now as we, Oh speak. yeah. Right, 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 right. But, but, but you're not in buying picture, in the lose money. No. And, and I don't think that, I don't think that, I think baseball has been awash in money the last several years. Paul, Paul, who do you think is more willing to let a season not be played? The players or the owners? Well, that's uh, that. Ultimately, if if they are playing chicken, that's ultimately the the uh, the question, isn't it? In in 1994, um, the owners were willing to bet the players would finally blink, and the players were willing to bet that the owners would blink as they always had before. Uh, and neither one of them did, and as a result, there was no World Series. Uh, I think. Um, I mean, to me, the, the question is, to me, to me, for example, a 50-game season is stupid. I mean, it just, it's ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense at all. Um, there are some uh, hardcore baseball fans who I'm sure would say, well, look at now each game means three times more, a little more than three times more than it used to, so it's really exciting. But that, to me, isn't baseball. And I, I read, I think, this morning, somebody was there last night, somebody was pointing out that the – Nationals last year were 19 and 31 after yep. 50 games. Yeah, right. And went on to win the World Series, and to me, that's one of the beautiful things about baseball. Yep. You have to prove yourself uh, over and over and over again for six months. Uh, in my mind, 80, 82 is about the lowest you can go and have anything resembling a legitimate season. Well, think about it, Paul. If and this may not sound a lot, if you're a team that spent 
a ton of money on Max Scherzer. We'll use Scherzer as the main example here because we just talked about the Nationals. 50-game season, you're using him 10 times. That's it. I mean, you know, how do you market the game? How is the game relevant? Like, when somebody you've tied up that much of your payroll is only used 10 times as opposed to what you pay him, which is 34, 35 during the season. Well, Gene Mock said you could use him 20 times. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and then Chris Short, another 20. And, and, yeah, five, exactly. and five out of relief. Uh, exactly. I mean, it just, it, it, it just, if 50 is a non-starter. 50 is a gimmick. 80, I think you're right, is the, is the, is the absolute baseline number. Uh, you can live with 80. You can live with eight. You can live with it, although again, it's it's not right. Uh, You're a right. True test in the sense, but we've had what we've had 144. Um, yeah. so we've had shortened seasons before. Um, it's not ideal, but but under these circumstances, if that's the best we can do, I think we just have to accept it. And, and I'll answer your question, Mike, that you sent to Paul. I think the owners are way more willing to to pull the plug on the season. I do. Okay. Um, okay. Well, I, Why, I, think, Kevin? Why? I, I agree. I agree with Kevin, and I think if I may jump in here, sure, it's, it's sure. because they are going to say their calculation is going to be okay. I've already lost X amount of dollars. If I right. have to lose X amount more dollars to get the long-term concessions that I need, right. then that is money well spent on my part. If you're the Marlins or the Pirates or the Royals or something. You see a lost season this year, even in these circumstances, as an entryway into discussion about getting the overall financial health of the game to fit your agenda, uh, which is eventually a salary cap. And you, which, which is which is ironic, considering that the overall health of the game was terrific. Brilliant. Yeah, at, 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 before all this. The overall health of the game, but Paul, I wanted to actually bring this up with you, and and I'm, I'm I, okay. The overall financial health of the game, right? I, I was just going to say, um, the leadership in play for Major League Baseball, and the all, uh, the, the, yeah, this is obviously coming. You know, I, I'm this an uh, this is an argument about what's how the game has gone over the last thirty years. This is not just a Rob Manfred thing, but everything. Do you think that the way it has packaged itself to the American to the American people on an economic basis. I mean, we've had labor peace since 95 in some form. No season interruption. They only got close to a strike once, and I think that was in 2002. Um, the fact that this sport continues to decline the way it has in popularity, falling behind the NBA, it's obviously well behind the NFL, um, do you think that's a, a an indictment of the way the sport ha, has has handled itself on a marketing basis? Um, I think maybe to some extent. Um, I think it's harder um, for a lot of reasons for baseball to market itself. Um, you know, I think baseball players have always been taught uh, not to be. Um, colorful, for lack of a better word. Uh, don't flip your bat. Don't show emotion. Um, you know, keep your mouth shut. 
Uh, and I think when that ethos is part of the game, I think it's hard to market players. I think the fact that uh, players play so many games, um, on an off day, they might not want to go shoot a commercial. They're making enough money that they might just say, you know, this day off is worth more to me than, than uh, how much money I can make going and doing this commercial. Um, so I think that's part of it. I think the other thing is, and I guess the the uh, metric that people use is attendance, overall attendance. And I think we, we kind of have to look at that and say, well, part of the surge in attendance was that, that wave of new stadiums right. uh, that, that were built. And so naturally, that had a positive impact on stadiums. Well, you can't build two new stadiums every year forever. And I think we're going through a stretch now where that has worn off. The novelty of the new stadiums has worn off to some extent. And so I think some of that decline was, was going to be natural. Yeah, if you think about it, there's only two new you – know, obviously Texas has opened their park this year. There's two more stadium situations that have to get resolved, one in Oakland and one in Tampa. But then you would figure everybody's pretty much set for a long time, or at least you know, whatever a long time is in the modern business world, um, that, that, that stadium wave is really going to – bottom out agreed yes i i do agree paul uh mike yeah kevin you've talked about this a lot about how this might have to do a lot with the cba that's going to be coming up in a year or so or whatever i mean to either you guys will the will the owners be able to live without a salary cap because it seems like a lot of what i'm hearing from you guys is that the owners really want that you know they want a salary cap i can't believe the players would ever go for that, um, you know, is that going to be a problem in another year or so? Well, I think I think that salary cap is like the third rail of negotiations uh, for baseball players, always has been. Right. Um, but, you know, at some point, um, depending on how things develop uh, and what else goes into it, I mean, I, I have never fully understood why the owner, major league owners are so intent on a salary cap other than it makes it easier on them. Uh, at a certain point, they can say, well, you know, I'd love to give you more money, but hey, I'm at the salary cap. Uh, but just because there is no salary cap written into the collective bargaining agreement doesn't mean they have to spend $300 million on payroll. Uh, they, you know, they are free to spend as much or as little as they want. Uh, and and isn't, the, isn't the luxury tax kind of the next thing? You know, if you can't get a salary cap, you put that in, so at least it causes owners maybe not to want to spend as much? Well, that and, and the money that is collected from that is turned back to the lower uh, revenue team right. in terms of revenue sharing. Right. So, um, I mean, I guess I understand from an owner's point of view why I would want that. But I don't think it's ne- necessary to run a business well and profitably, frankly. Well, and, and also, if you think about it, the luxury taxes worked. For what they wanted, the luxury taxes worked. Now, do you have the Dodgers who, who have soared? Yeah, you have the Yankees who have gone over and the Red Sox at certain points. But look at a case like the Phillies. I mean, th- there's enough of a, a punishment in paying over the luxury tax that they haven't gone over it. And 
you know, you've seen teams like the Red Sox and the Yankees and, and the Dodgers try to reset themselves by bringing payroll down for a year to where their tax rates got flattened out. It, it's a part of the business discussion. And, you know, I think small market owners, the problem here is, and I think small market owners better watch what they what they wish for. Better because if you're going to have a, a cap, okay, every league that has a cap also has a floor. You know, yeah, the NBA right. and the NFL both have a floor that you have to spend to this, okay? And a team like the Pirates and a team like the, the, the Marlins who takes that sa- revenue sharing money that Paul mentioned and throws it right in their pocket – Boy, if they get a cap somehow, they're they're going to end up maybe paying more than they would have under a tax revenue. You would think, right, Paul? I would think so. I mean, obviously, if I, I don't, I can't ever see the players' association agreeing to any kind of a salary cap no. that didn't also have a minimum payroll as well. Uh, Paul, do you the the business itself? There's going to be no minors this year. I think that's a pretty safe bet to to say at this point. No minors. Uh, you know, we've seen teams that have had furloughs already. The Phillies have kept all their people on till October, but uh, this week talked about pay cu- you know, pay cuts for people making over ninety grand, which is not you know there, it's a sub- there's enough of a market there that you know it's not you know where I'm going with that. There's yeah. enough people there who make that that where it's a pretty significant cut. Um. If there's no season, what does the business look like when we get to clear water in February? So you're assuming we're going to get to clear water. I was just going to say, (laughs) I said that. That was the first first thing I was thinking. (laughs) Assuming we get to clear water in February, what's the business look like? Um, Well, the, the first thing that occurs to me is that even in just the last 10 years, if you go back and look at a Phillies media guide from 10 years ago and look at it now and go to the front where they list all the full-time employees, uh, that number has swollen dramatically. Uh, off the top of my head, I'll bet there's at least twice as many people in the front office now as there used to be. And and I don't wish anything bad on any of those people. No, we've known really a lot hard, And we know a lot of them, but it's really hard for me to see – that number being the same um, after October, whatever this commitment is, um, I, I, I would expect the front office would be considerably smaller uh, going into next year. That'd be the first thing. Um, you know, beyond that, uh, I don't know. There, there's all kinds of ways you can save a little money, invite fewer non-roster players to spring training. Uh, you know, obviously signing free agents, what free agents you sign or don't sign. Uh, next winter is not going to be a good time to be a free agent. Mr. Um, Mr. is taking notes, yes, I'm sure. That, yes, I'm sure he is. Um, you know, so there, there are ways you can trim around the margins, but, but, but let's, let's give the Phillies the benefit of the doubt and say they are actually going to lose $100 million this year. You're not going to get that back in one year. No. Um, so... You know, I, I think, frankly, your best, if, if I were John Middleton uh, and I had the financial wherewithal that I think he has, I would try to run my operation 
as well as I could, as close to what I was running it before as, with the idea that the way I'm going to make my money back is to run a successful operation. And, you know, if other organizations are cutting back, well, that gives me an edge. And, and I think the one thing we have seen here in Philadelphia, at least, is if you win, if you're successful, people will come and you'll make money. Absolutely. So um, I think it would be a short-sighted mistake to cut back too much and try to recoup that $100 million all at once uh, as opposed to playing a little bit of a longer game. Uh, but I will have to say that after covering baseball for more than 40 years, I have never been impressed by how long-sighted uh, owners tend to be. They tend to be very short-sighted in my opinion. Because yeah, from what you guys are t- have been saying, Kevin especially, I mean, we could have maybe baseball next year and then not have baseball in 2022. It's possible, you know, depending on how this, the collective bargaining agreement negotiations go. I mean, it's also possible that um, we could have baseball this year and then not have it at the beginning of next season because the pandemic came back. Yeah. Or there was yeah. another spike. I mean – Nobody really knows how this is going to play out. So I think, you know, the old saying, you control what you can control. And yeah. yeah, And I, you know, I I think one of the things before we get to the Phillies end of this, and you know, we talked a little bit about the Phillies end of it, but I, I think the one thing that the sport has to realize is that there has to be a connect. There has to be a connection, a better connection right now than it has with its players and it's between its players and its owners to grow the overall game. The, the, you know, it's all great. It's all well and good to make a lot of money off MLB uh, advanced media, which the, which the owners have. It's all great when the salaries have sorts for Machado's and the Harper's and everything. But the fact that your game has become distant in the American conscious it is something that I think they really better take aware of and uh, become aware of. Because if you do lose a whole year, if you do not have a season in 2020, the sport doesn't come back in my mind. It's far closer to what the NHL is. It's already a regionalized sport, unfortunately, in a lot of cases. It comes back closer to the NHL than it ever will be to the NBA and the NFL again. Maybe am I overstating that or not? Uh, I, I hope that's an overstatement, but I understand where you're going with it, and I don't think it's entirely off base. Um, you know, as, as we talked about earlier, the the opportunity to lose the season and take the high ground has passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you lose the season now, it's going to be remembered fairly or unfairly, to some extent I think unfairly, uh, as well, it was greed and it was money. Uh, and we're going to overlook that it was a pandemic that yeah. really started it. Um, and the baseball was uniquely positioned, uniquely poorly positioned, uh, that their season had not started and, but wasn't going to start in several months like the NFL, that their season happened to coincide with the very beginning of this. And, and so, so and, they had tougher decisions to make than a lot of sports. And they didn't have the wiggle room of the NBA and the NHL of going, okay, whenever this does resume, we go right into the playoffs, pretty right, much. Right, exactly. 
Paul, before we get to the to the Philly situation, there was one part of the, the Gelb article I wanted to bring up to you, uh, which was talking about how regional sports networks have helped the sport. You know, all these teams with regional sports networks, and it's been a cash infusion and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's difficult to imagine a scenario which Comcast defaults on its payment to the Phillies or re- folds its regional sports network, but it's no longer impossible. If anything, the club's 25% stake in the network is not worth nearly as much as team officials would have envisioned five years ago. Five years ago is when the deal started. Um, Was the sports financial base built too much into these localized contracts and now with cord cutting and and the pandemic and and people not being able to afford to pay huge cable bills anymore, is that a real danger for the sport? Um, I I don't – I wouldn't say that they – made a mistake by going down that route because it was, uh, you know, once the first team did it, once the Yankees had the S network and started making, I think they were probably the first one. Well, I guess the Braves were actually the first one, but you know, once, once teams saw that that was a great source of revenue, nothing else just to be competitive. Uh, they, they wanted to look for other sources of revenue and it made a lot of sense. Uh, I also think, as you mentioned, I think cord cutting is the big thing. Um, I think that that's a real issue uh, going forward. I can't imagine Comcast Sportsnet or Xfinity or whatever they're calling it now, um, NBC Sports. Uh, I can't Philadelphia. I can't see that going out of business. But I certainly could see them coming to the Phillies and saying, "Okay, you know, yeah, we made this 25-year commitment, but times have changed, so we need to sit down and renegotiate." I can certainly see that. Uh, Mike? Hold on, Mike. I- no, it's, it's just <laughs> we, we're in weird times. You know, it's, but I, I go back, Kevin, when you talk, it's, there's a distrust between these two sides. You know, we talk a lot about what's going on in America. How do you fix that? How do you fix two sides that basically, you know, for 20 years – think the other side's trying to screw them. Oh, for 50 years, really. Well, right. Well, yeah, I, I know. I'm just going back to like 94 or whatever. But right. Yeah, you're right. 50 years, whenever free agency became, you know, came in. Uh, I just don't see how. I mean, yeah, I guess you can compromise a little maybe, but I, I think both sides feel they're right and both sides are going to stand their ground. You know, and, and I just, you know, when that's, when that's the case, you know, I'd like to think they're going to reach an agreement and we're going to have baseball and we're going to have baseball and, you know, other than a pandemic resurgence, we're going to have baseball, you know, and they're going to reach an agreement a year from now on the CBA. But I don't know, man. It's uh, the more you hear these two sides talk, you're just like, like, really? This is the rhetoric I'm getting? Paul, is there going to be a season? Um, I still hold out hope just because I think both sides understand that it would be really difficult to bounce back from if there's not. But we, we do have the precedent of 1994, yeah. where both, both sides underestimated um, the position of the other, and, and, the season, and the season ended up being canceled along with the World Series. So it's certainly not out of the question that there will be no baseball. 
Paul Hagen joins us. Hey, Paul, let me let me float a, a quick question in on the Phillies um, on a baseball end of it. Uh, we mentioned the Real Muto situation. Obviously, they can't talk to Real Muto or his agent through all this. Did they miss an opportunity here to get him signed right after the arbitration hearing came in, which was, I guess, three weeks before everything shut down? Well, I mean, without having without being privy to the conversations, it's hard to know. Uh, I mean, ideally you would have liked to have gotten it done. I don't know what they offered him. I don't know what he's exactly looking for. Um, as we sort of touched on earlier, I have to imagine that his market is not going to be as high uh, coming out of this as it was before it. If teams have lost as much money as they say they've lost, mm -hmm. Um, I, I think that would have to negatively impact how much money they're going to be able to offer him. Um, but I don't know. I mean, that, that, that'll be a great second guess at some point down the road um, if they don't re-sign him. Um, I, I just, I, I'm just always reluctant without knowing all the facts to say, sure. oh, yeah, they, they missed an opportunity. They should have done this. They should have signed him. I, I just don't know. Should have never got to arbitration, I guess, is the best. Well, you, you, would, you would hope. A lot of times. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Good. Okay. Yeah, of, yes. Okay. A lot of times, um, you know, without, without knowing how much he was asking, what they were offering, how far apart. If they were close, yes. If they were close, it'll be a real shame they didn't get this done at and if you're real Mudo, are you better off taking a short-term deal at this point? You might be. Um, although, you know, he is he is a catcher. He is right. uh, coming coming off the best year of his career. Um, I'm not sure that it, in terms of his on-field performance, I'm not sure his value will ever be higher. Mike? Yeah, what, what happens with Jake Arrieta if they don't play this year? Is he gone, or does that contract carry over to next year? Uh, con is that how this contract's is gone. You get your full service time, right, Paul? Yes, they they gave up. They are giving service time, but so these contracts are basically running out. Just um, just nobody's going to get paid from them, right? Which for, okay for free agents, it's for free agents. It, it's a catch twenty two. You can't increase your value, and yet you know you're you're getting well. Close. Jake Arrieta is going to lose a lot of money because there's no way he's going for anywhere near that, right? In That's his next true. contract, I'm guessing. But he also is coming off injury, so he has no way of proving that he's completely healthy either. Right. But he would have got twenty million this year, right? right. Or twenty whatever it would have been. So yeah. Paul Hagen, uh, from Chaps Pit Beef in media, <laughs> uh, but also from uh the Spink Award from the Baseball Hall of Fame, the uh Daily News. I almost said the inquiry again there, Kern. And, <laughs> no, you can no. Yeah, you're right. In Paul's case, it was daily news. Paul was all, right. daily news. all daily news. All daily news, all the time. And, yeah, right. uh, and MLB.com. Paul, appreciate it, man. Good luck with Ju the business. July 7th. July 7th, they open up. Uh, make I'll sure to see both you guys. Oh, so, I Devin, think. we'll get to celebrate 4th of July three days later. Yeah. It'll be great. And, and let's be honest. That will be great. It'll be myself. It'll be you. I would imagine Salisbury will be nearby, correct? <laughs> I sure hope so. And uh, everybody, uh, down near the old uh, Granite Run Mall, uh, please uh, go see Paul once it opens up at Chaps Pit Beef. But thanks, Paul.
Thanks, guys. Uh, Take it easy, man. Working the beat will continue. Actually, we'll go right on to the next thing. Are you uh, okay, Mr. Kern? Do I have a choice? Well, yeah. If you want me to take a break, I'll take a break. Nah, I don't need a break. You don't need a break? Okay. Nah. Um. Meanwhile, as baseball continues to flounder towards whatever eventual structure it's going to be, if there is one this year. See, there's part of me, Kevin. I don't mean. I just think they they can't be this stupid not to not to get something done. But what Paul had to say about the fifty game season, I I, I tend to agree with too. So maybe we're already at a point where it's getting very very close to being too late. Yeah, and I think I think that's especially if you're not wanting to go deep in the November, and that and that's the thing if they don't want to go deep in the November. Well, unless you played it at neutral sites. Well, it's you not, know, you it's not it. just that. It's the worry about the pandemic. I mean, I think. Well, that, that could be September or October. I mean, let's face it. We're talking as if the, the, the fall is the fall. I mean, the, the fall is September, October. That's when they're predicting it could. They don't know. Right. I, I mean, but we're making it sound like, well, it won't come back till November. It could come back in August. Uh, uh, the NBA is coming back. We know that, or at least, you know, pandemic allowing they are coming back right and they've they're coming back with an interesting um format here uh down at disney world top 16 teams in the east and west will be joined by teams currently within six place of eight six games of eighth place in the two conferences uh in the west that would be new orleans portland san antonio sacramento phoenix and only washington in the east fits that model uh the playing tournament will include the number eight and nine teams if the nine team finishes the regular season within four games of the eighth sources said in that case the eight seed enters a double elimination tournament and the sing- nine seed as a single elimination so in other words if the eight beats the nine in game one it's over um and then you go into a more of a traditional playoff format uh, your thoughts? So, so, is there going to be a problem that the West is going to have like five teams playing and the East is only going to have one or two? No, because they're going to have eight regular season games. Oh, they're playing. Okay, I, the, I they okay, will play eight, eight regular, eight regular season games. Okay, that will allow teams to try to make up the gap and to get within that four game gap. So you're um, going to bring Golden State back to play six no, no, games? No, no, you're no. Only, you're only bringing 22 of the 30 teams back. See, this is where I get confused. Okay. I, I, so there's nine teams in the East, and there's like 14 teams in the West, or 13 teams in the West. Yeah. How are they going to put a schedule together? I don't, I, I'm don't. i missing the point here. They're going to play the games that were scheduled? They're going to play the games that were scheduled. Now, if you were scheduled to play a team that is not playing anymore, Chicago. That's where I'm losing. Okay, what they would do is they would skip over that game. Okay? This is very weird. I know. You would skip over that game and play the next game on your schedule against the team. Mm. Why won't you just have the five teams in the West? Or or what, what, how, however you want to, you got to get the eight teams. Eventually, have the, the I, what would it be? You got to do something where you just play like a round robin to get your seventh and eighth seeds or something. They're making this way too complicated. They really are. Like in the East, to me, it should be simple. You have eight play nine in some kind of a series. 
they're trying the three Mike, I think what they're trying to do, at least in my mind, is they're trying to make it where teams you know, teams that are close enough to they don't want to just say, Okay, here's our sixteen teams, let's go. Right. But you also want to make it where one, you can have guys get ready by playing some games before you get into it's almost like combining exhibition games and the end of the no, regular I, season. I get that. But what I'm saying is it just seems very confusing. Okay, so the Sixers are supposed to play the Hawks tonight. No, they're not because the Hawks aren't in it. So you're going, no, 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 no. Have the teams they're going to have, the 22, but just figure out some other way of doing it. And if you have to have the Sixers play the Bucks, you know, in a warm-up game or whatever you want to call it. There was an actual There was an actual uh, schedule, and I'm looking this up now, that the Sixers would play. Because it's all going to turn out to be uneven, is what I'm guessing. There's not going to be any conform. Like the whole thing about leagues is that everybody at the end of the day has played the same amount of games. Um, they've had an equal opportunity to, you know, whatever. This just seems confusing to me. But maybe I'm, maybe, maybe it's me. Um, I, I just think there's so many. If you're going to do it this way, you might as well just bring back all the teams and just play the schedule out. This is Vince Goodwill from Yahoo Sports. Teams would continue to schedule as originally planned. If a team is slated to play one of the eight teams not included, it would move on to the next game in the schedule. So, for example, right. here's the Sixers schedule. Um, Sixers had, this is from NBC Sports Philly. Sixers had a relatively easy remaining schedule, so the elimination of non-contending teams would be a slight negative for them. They had a stretch of games from March 19th through the 26th against Charlotte, Atlanta, Minnesota, and Chicago. Their remaining schedule would look now Indiana, Washington, Toronto, Phoenix, Portland, Houston, Washington, Orlando. Okay, so... Yeah, but, yeah, but Kevin, let's say you're a team in the West that's currently the 10th seed. Right. And you're scheduled to play four teams that aren't playing anymore you're going to have less chance to win games to try to catch the teams you're trying to catch. Am I making sense here? You You know, if if you're, I don't have a schedule in front of me, but if San Antonio has eight games left and they're not going to play four of them, let's say, okay, then that means they're going to play less, fewer games than maybe the team, the Pelicans that they're trying to catch. It it would get the, the way the formula would work is you would get to 70 games. I think it was 70 games they wanted. Uh, Every team would eventually get the 70 games. The question is, those games are unequal because you're not going to play every team a certain amount of time. It's not going to be a representative sample. You're right. The whole thing is unequal, and I understand they're trying to keep as many teams in it as possible. That's fair. I don't disagree with that, but it's just weird. When they start the playoffs, wake me up. Well, well, and and this is the thing. like I'll I'll give you this example. Orlando is Orlando has a five and a half game lead on Washington right now. Okay, right. for the last playoff spot, with eight games left, right? Well, they will pl- they will play eight games now in this new system. Right. Okay. Washington has to in some way knock two games off that. Okay. To make it where they can even have that double elimination. Yeah. For the right to play two more games against Orlando, basically. Yeah. And have to win I, both of them. There's still a part of me that would say just take eight teams in each conference and, and just start. And if you you were out of it by three games, blame the pandemic. I mean, there's a damn pandemic, 
and people are worried about yeah, that, that's who a, the eighth, you know, Mike, who that's the a good, eighth seed is going to be in the West. That's a, that's a great point because here you go. Like the eighth seed in the West right now would be Memphis. Okay. Right. And they're three up on the grid. On they're the, three uh, and a half up on Portland, the and Pelicans, and the right. Kings. All three teams. Right. Right. Okay. Is that enough of a gap where you just say enough? You know? But I don't care. We're talking about the eighth seed in the West yeah. who's going to lose to the Lakers in a best of three, a best of five, a best of 27. It doesn't matter. They're the eighth seed in the West. If we were talking about the difference between the Sixers being the third seed or the sixth seed, okay, I get it. But you know what? Too bad. At some point, you're going to have to beat all these teams anyway. That's where I'm losing it is that – and they're only doing this because of the money involved in getting to 70 games. I'm guessing. I I don't know this for a fact. But you tell me who's going to play the Lakers out of any of those teams and beat the Lakers. I can't tell Nobody. And it doesn't matter if the Wizards or the – who would you say was eighth in the East? Uh, well, uh, Orlando right now is eight. So it doesn't matter if Orlando or the Wizards play Milwaukee. A four, yeah, a four and a half, a four and a half game edge too for Orlando. No, no, I'm just They're saying. Losing. Yeah, no, but why are they? Doing, but for them to get play? like, to, how how fair is it to Orlando who has opened a pretty sizable gap that in the East it was it's pretty not, much done. That well, suddenly now, if, uh, it, 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 it's a five and a half game edge, that if they come back, they have two off nights here. For in these eight games that are basically warm up games, that Washington's going to sneak, sneak in. It, it, no, it's stupid. And, and I don't even think that the Wizard fans care. Now, maybe the Pelican fans care because they have Zion down there, and it, maybe it would be a big deal for them to make the playoff and, you know, play the Lakers. I, I don't notice. I, this is why I like what the NHL is doing because they're having that top four seeds play that little play in thing, which will give them three games three, you know, games that mean something, but kind of warm-up games, but they do mean something. So maybe, you know, the NBA should have done something. I don't know what – I'm just saying is this thing to me sounds – me and you just trying to talk about it for five minutes was confusing. So – The NBA Finals, Game 7, would land on October 12th. Yeah, that's assuming that everything goes well. Goes well. But see, in the NBA, it doesn't matter. You could end November the 12th. You know, well, it, 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 there's nothing yeah. in, in those sports you could do that. You would just delay the start of your next season, you know, and I think we're all at, at, at this point probably assuming that those seasons are not going to start when they would have started. They're going to start at the earliest, probably in January, I'm guessing. All right. Um, meanwhile, you know. meanwhile, teams that are would have home court advantage in a traditional playoff structure, since there will be no home court in this right. structure are trying to get, cre- trying to get creative with ways to reinstitute home court advantage. Okay. Um, I'm going to give you uh, the scenarios that have been floated at the ESPN. Tell me yay or nay. Ready? Higher seeded team is awarded first possession of the second, third and fourth quarters following the traditional jump ball to begin the game. Uh, nay, because it has nothing to do with it being a home court advantage. Okay. Higher seeded team being allowed to designate one player to be able to wee whistle for seven fouls instead of six before fouling out. Nay. Okay. It's not, it's not the game. Higher seeded team receiving an extra coach's challenge. Nay. 
Higher seeding team being able to transport their actual hardware home court to arenas in Orlando to try to preserve the feel of their home playing experience. I'll yay on that if if it's if it's feasible. You know, if if you can if you can do that without in the pandemic in, in the rules. I'll go with that. Here's my favorite. An off-court draft where player playoff teams seated in order 1 to 16 receive first choice of picking which hotels they will stay at at Y World of Sports Complex and Disney World Resort. I'll yay that too. I think yeah. I'll yay that. It's kind of like the NCAA tournament things, in that sense. I mean, the all NCAA- those other things are gimmicks. Yeah, you can't say if I have the home court and I'm the Sixers and my and they were great at home, mm-hmm. and because of the fans' noise mostly, and maybe the maybe the refs make some home, every team gets home calls. We all know that, but to say the Sixers didn't win those games because Brett Brown had an extra challenge, they didn't win those games because Brett Brown got the ball. You know, at, at, at three quarters instead of one. Maybe the Sixers could have won all four jumps for all I know with Embiid. Um, no, I, I, those things. Anytime, why when something like I, this is what I don't understand about people. Why do we want to throw more gimmicks into sports? You know, baseball. We talk about this all the time. What can baseball do to speed up the game? Baseball ain't doing nothing to speed up the game. It's baseball. You either like it or you don't like it. And they put all these rules in that they think is going to do this and do that. Why? Yeah, the, the, the stupidest one I've ever heard was putting a runner at second base in the 10th inning. Are you kidding me? That's not baseball. Why would you do that? You know, let's shoot free throws. If Let's have shootouts. And I know some people like the shootout. That it, I think the shootout is is a gimmick. It's exactly what I think it is. And, and that is, is almost tolerable because, you know, it's a guy going in against a goalie. Okay. Uh, but that, but I, I don't want gimmicks in my sports. I, I don't. You do like my you sport. do like the hotel idea, though. Well, because like you said, Kevin, it's if, if I'm the Bucks, let's just say, and I, and I don't know, I'm assuming all the hotels down there are pretty nice, right? Okay. But, yeah, say to the Bucks, where do you want to be? You know, we're, I mean, I don't think they're going to be doing much in a hotel anyway, right? Um, but, yeah, give the Bucks first choice. Like you said, if, if um, Duke goes to each regional and they're the, they're the top seed, they, you know, they they go this way and uh, the second team goes that way. And I, got, I have no problem with anything that doesn't affect the game on the court. I, want, I don't think it's fair if the Bucks beat the Sixers because they got the ball at the start of three quarters instead. Yeah, that's not right. It, it, it's just that's not what a home court advantage is. I home could, court advantage is twenty thousand people making your team nervous or, or whatever. That that's why teams play better, you know, at home. Um, so no, I, I don't. I, the, the one with the court. So you're telling me the Lakers are going to transport their court, or the Lakers and the Clippers, I guess. Are going to transport their court from L.A. to to Orlando? Well, and, and to that's, make them feel better. Yeah, and that's the other part. It's like you know, okay, you have that games one, two, six, and seven. Does that mean? Oh like, yeah, you'd have to switch the court all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, that, that that's that why can't. that's not going to work. No, that that won't work because the, uh, I'm assuming I could be wrong now, but you're going to be playing what two, three games a day in that in those buildings. Oh yeah, you would. You, think. You'll have like maybe a, no, a noon game. 
uh, a four or five o'clock game, a night game. I, I don't know how they're going to do this. Yeah, that's another thing, Kevin. We've never talked about this, but in all this talk about how you're going to keep these guys um, quarantined, so to speak, mm-hmm. when you have one game coming in at noon, let's I'm just throwing that out there, and you have another game coming in maybe two hours after the conclusion of that game, how do you sterilize everything? That's a great question. I mean, I don't know. I don't I'm know just posing it. They might have different locker rooms. I mean, I don't know how many locker rooms all these stadiums down in Disney World have, but you're talking 16 teams. I mean, do they have more than – there's more than one arena down there, right? There's a few. Yeah. yeah. My, my, my favorite – my favorite – like I'm serious. My favorite thing is is the hotel thing. Like we were talking about, just because like there is a Four Seasons now at Walt Disney World. We know that these sure. teams love staying at Ritz Carlton's Four Seasons, all that. Although, like they're not supposed to be doing much, right? I mean, that's what we've been well, told. No, I, I understand, but just the luxury of the bedding. So you'd rather or, be in a Four Seasons than the uh, cabins the, at uh, the Fort Wilderness? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think you're, no, I, I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, give them some. Um, Who's at the all-star movie resort, which is basically like you have, like, if you have, like, a family of six, that's yeah. as cheap as Disney can go. So I'm trying to think what the best the best hotels down there are. Oh, the Swan, the well, the Four Seasons or the Swan and Dolphin, I think, would be that. There's another one down there, though. I remember we went through it. it it's like. An old South antebellum kind of deal. Um, Coronado? No, 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 no. It was, um, oh, God, I can't just. I don't think it was the Swan. I, I think it had a name like, um, but we walked in it when we were down there, and it was unbelievable. I mean, it was like, you know, but, of course, it's going to be empty, right? The Grand, I, I guess Well, there's the Grand Floridian, too. That's another. That, that was it. That was it. The Grand Floridian. That, that was the one. That was really, but are there now Disney world's going to be opening. I'm assuming Disney world opens July 11th. Okay. So what are they going to do? So you're telling me that Disney world, let's say you pick the best, uh, 16 hotels in Disney world or Mm -hmm. best 22. I mean, you're talking 22 hotels, right? That's what I'm checking. Go ahead. Uh, Okay. At least for some of this, but for some of this, there's going to be 16 and then you'll go down to eight. Then you'll go to four. They're going to keep those hotels empty. So if the Grand Floridian, if you have, um, let's say, the Sixers, and they have a traveling party of 50 to, I don't know what, what, you know, because the officials are going to have to get housed somewhere. Uh, You know, those kind of people are going to have to get housed. There are 36 resort, there are 36 hotels listed on Disney's website right now. But what I'm saying is you're telling me that Disney is going to agree to keep, like, the Grand Floridian completely empty except for the Bucks. Uh, when they oh, I would, I would think I would think you would probably have it where you would put one Western Conference or one Eastern Conference team and cut down on the number of hotel rooms you would need. As far as like, yeah, you might be right, but I mean, I thought this whole thing was supposed to be about isolation. Well, I mean, it, it it is isolation in a sense of maybe you isolate them in different parts of the hotel. Well, yeah, but I most mean, of these still, hotels are so huge that you can have isolated some of them. I mean, well, if you're going to do that, why? But but also, but Mike, they're also talking about the families. Once the playoffs begin, the families are going to be allowed to come. Sure. So, Kevin, I'm telling you, that there are issues that I would. Now, maybe they, look, they're smarter than me. I'm sure that these things. But there's so, every time you ask a question, you come to another question. It's like, without even answering that question. 
You know, I'm just saying, if Disney World's going to open on July 10th or whatever date you said, I'm assuming Disney's hoping that there's going to be people coming to the park and staying at the park and paying four or $500 a night for the privilege of staying in the Grand Floridian. Well, I'm guessing if the Milwaukee Bucks are in the Grand Floridian, you can't take a chance. Here, here you go. Ready? I'm actually reading from Disney's website here. Uh, theme parks opening July 11th, Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom, Epcot and Hollywood Studios July 15th. Disney Vacation Club properties at Disney World and Disney's Fort Wilderness Resort and Campground will open the guests on June 22nd. Vacation Club properties in Vero Beach and Hildeham will open June 15th. Disney Springs has already reopened. Upon reopening, theme parks, resort hotels, restaurants, and other offerings will be modified, limited in capacity, and available to subject to availability or closure. So basically, they're, they're, they're trying to control how many people are in there anyway. Well, uh, but it's going to be the NBA that's control. I mean, if the NBA goes up to them and says, "Hey," but you just build I'm in, just, you build I'm in. Just really, but I'm really confused here about if you're going to have the Bucks traveling party in a hotel. Pick a hotel. I don't care which hotel. All right? How can you have other people in that hotel and just assume that they're not going to come in contact with anybody from the Bucks traveling party? Nice. I find that really right. hard to believe. You know, you're going to what you're going to tell the Bucks they can't go out of their room. Is that what this is going to be about? You, you know, you you. I don't know. I, I'm I'm just saying. And then if the, then if let's say you bring kids and everything, they're going to be wanting to go to the theme park. You're going to have to have them in the park and coming back. So really, how quarantine can it be? Well, maybe they won't. Maybe they're not going to go to park. I mean, I you know we're making. Then what do you bring? I, Bringing a kid. Well, to- you bring you bring them to Disney World to be with their father. I mean, that's it's a, but that doesn't mean you have to go into the park. Boy, that's like that's like giving a kid a, a, a you know, bringing them like you Kevin, know Santa's workshop Kevin, and telling them, yeah, you can't touch. There's a pandemic. These are not. We're Mike. I like understand, but if you're no, gonna- but we're thinking like it's usual times. They're they're not going to Disney World for a vacation. Do you think they're just going so they can't be apart from their families for? I understand, but do you think months. do you think that the six year old's going to grasp that? I don't think the six year old's going to have any choice. The NBA is not going to let. God bless them those go parents. Then, the, well, I'm just saying, how do you, as the NBA, say we're going to sequester you guys here? But oh yeah, mom and the kid and and uh, you can go into Disney World. Really? And then we'll take your temperature when you come out of Disney World. Uh, I, that that seems to me, you know, now you're opening up a whole other can of worms. You might as well just stay home. I mean, you know, I'm just talking realistically. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, to me, <laughs> I, I, I just don't understand how you take those kind of risks. I I, I why would you take risks you don't have to take? That's the whole point of this. We're not going to take risks. If they're going to take risks, they could just tell them to stay, you know, in the Holiday Inn on Route 1 or something. Right. I mean, you know, um, but, you know, because because uh, Mrs. LeBron James wants to take her three kids to, to, to see Wild Animal Kingdom. I mean, are they going to clear out Animal Kingdom for them? Are they going to be walking amongst other people? With masks on, I hear you. Let me. Uh, yeah, so I, I, let me, I'm just saying. I think the six year old kid's going to be disappointed. Let me get to some other issues. Um, 
I, you know, I'm, I'm going to stay away from the Drew Brees topic. I, I think other people have more and, and better opinions on it. I think obviously Drew Brees came out on Thursday morning and apologized for what was said. Um, and, and so we'll let that go. We talked a lot about the subjects involved with that on, on Tuesday. So I'll let that go, but I want to bring up others kind of keep it more light. Mr. Kern, uh, Steve Stricker, the U S captain for the Ryder cup yep. ha- has said Wisconsin, Wisconsin native, Wisconsin native, uh, scheduled mm-hmm. to be played. I believe at, uh, is it Aaron whistling straights, whistling straits. Okay. Uh, whistling straights in, um, in, uh, Wisconsin and end of, end of September. Yep. Uh, um, I said playing with a, without a crowd at Whistling Straits will be a quote yawner of an event and quote a crime to Wisconsin fans. I mean, this event is made by fans. To me, if it's without fans, it's almost a yawner of an event. The passion, I don't know if it would be there. So, if there's no fans allowed at Whistling Straits, should you have a Ryder Cup? Should you have a a, a Masters in November if there's no fans? It's the same. It's the same question, Kevin. I mean. If, if yes, a Ryder Cup is about fans. The Masters is about fans. Uh, any event, you know, Kentucky Derby is about fans. Um, it, it, it goes back to the question that why are we trying to do some of these things? You know, I don't care if there's a Masters this year. I really don't. And I'm a golf guy. I'm as, I'm as much of a golf guy as anybody. I covered 25 of them in a row. Um, but the British Open said to hell with it. We're not having a British Open this year. We can't mm-hmm. because this. And I think it was the right decision. Yeah, I do too. Um, now maybe maybe they couldn't put it off till November because the weather over there in November might have been you know whatever it's going to be. It's going you know. But I agree that a Ryder Cup. I've been to a number of Ryder Cups. Uh, it is about the fans. It's about. You know, the fans yelling at Monty or yelling at Sergio or, you know, it's about fist pumping. It's about who are you going to fist pump? <laughs> I mean, well, and, yeah. no. And, and the, one, the one thing I, I think of with this is the fact that, you know, Whistling Straits obviously gets a ton of the tournaments, but, you know, there's a lot of people in that community who have built up for that moment to have that weekend, you know, hotels and everything. If Sure. If you don't have it with fans, and you just say, okay, we're going to have it at Whistling Straits, but then Whistling Straits says, you know, for all whatever renovation they're going to do or whatever they're going to do to to get the course ready for Ryder Cup standards, the economic impact is gone, and it, maybe it's not fair to the community to have it. Was it fair to the British Open community? Yeah, but, the, the but they were but they were able to. The British Open was able to rearrange its schedule. Where basically, what was it? Royal St George this year? It was supposed to be at. It was Royal St. George. They're going to have it, I believe, their next, next year. Next year, and then they, yeah, they, they pushed, pushed everything back. back. Well, they pushed back. Next year was supposed to be the 150th, and they were going to have it at St. Andrews. So St. Andrews will now get the 150th in, in 2022. 2022. But, Kevin, what takes precedence here? I don't. Oh, I, Mike, I don't, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying, are you no, better if, off can if, Are you better off canceling it and then giving it to, or pushing it back a year? And having them have it next year so they can get kind of the full. Well, experience. you already have a you already have a Presidents Cup schedule, which for is next year. Charlotte, right? And you already have Olympics next year, which are scheduled. So to schedule it, it's might not just be as easy as saying, you know, we're going to play the Presidents Cup here in Charlotte the end of September, 
And a week later or two weeks later, we're going to play the, the uh, Ryder Cup. It's, it's not just – it's not like the Kentucky Derby saying we're going to move from the first weekend in May to September, whatever. It ain't that easy. What they could do is they could give the Ryder – I'm trying to think. The Ryder Cup probably is scheduled out in America. It is 2020. I'm sure the 2024 one has already been awarded. The 2028 one might have been awarded. I'm actually looking that up right now. Yeah, 24, right, yeah. I, I'm sure, is awarded, right? 24 is the Beth page. Okay, what's 28? Did they have a 28? Hazeltine. Okay, how about 32? Uh, Olympic Club. Okay, well, then, then there's... 36 I mean, is Congressional. They've, they've actually went out that far. Wow. They didn't used to do that. Um, yeah, I mean, there are going to be victims of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. There are going to be consequences. If the people at Whistling Straits, they've had three PGAs there, um, and I'm sure they're going to have another P. I'm just saying, is it unfortunate? Yes. So what's the alternative? I, I don't understand what the alternative is. And you can't if, and you can't even like do it where, okay, you know, look, it's going to be in Rome in 22. Okay, it's not even like you could say, okay, well, you pushed this back to 22, and no, Rome that's back their to year. That, that's yeah. the European year. You could try to push it to next year. I'm not saying you can't. Do you cancel the Presidents uh, Cup? Well, yeah. How are you going to tell the Presidents Cup that? Well, isn't the it run by the Cup same people? Run- no, the President's Cup is run by the PGA Tour because they were mad that the, the, the PGA of America runs the Ryder Cup and the Ryder Cup is so much bigger than the President's Cup. So you can't just go to those people and say, well, we're not going to have that. And next year's – next yeah, you're right, it's in Charlotte this year. I mean, there might be a way to fit it into the schedule. I, I'm not saying for absolute certainty that you couldn't. But you know what the PGA Tour schedule looks like now. It's, it's almost accounted for almost – all the time. Um, and it's hard to go to Wisconsin in like November. It is. You know, if, if God forbid that was like the week that you could find. So I just don't know. I mean, and again, it's the pandemic has screwed up the whole world. It, it's, but I mean, I just, first of all, Ryder Cup. Yeah. You, you nowadays, if you had a Ryder Cup, you do get as many fans. It's not like they could limit the fans. I mean, they could, but then you're going to, you know, I'm, I'm sure they've sold a lot of tickets out there because that's an open course. Yep. It's hard to get to. It's in the middle of nowhere. So people ain't really – a lot of people are going to be staying in Milwaukee um, and thereabouts and traveling and such. Um, yeah, it sucks. Yeah. It sucks. But the players don't seem like they're – the players are almost telling you, if we can't have fans there, we don't want to be there. Yeah. I, I've heard that from several players. Um. So what's the answer? Tell the pandemic to go away. I, I don't, you know, may, I don't know. Maybe in September we'll be okay yep. or, or early October. I, I, you know, Lambeau Field's only about an hour from there. Yeah. You think they'll be putting fans in Lambeau Field on? Uh, well, that's another question. I'll get to that in a second. Just let me finish my oh. point on the Packers. Yep. Go ahead. Finish, go ahead, finish your point on the Packers. We're yeah. back rolling. No, I'm just saying is if the Packers are going to maybe have 20,000 people, and I'm just – this is off the top of my head now. I mean, you know, they, I mean, the Packers might be hoping – the NFL might be hoping to have a full house. I don't know. But if you're going to have 20,000 people at a football stadium on that's around that time, can you have 20,000 people on a, on a golf course? Well, it was funny. You know, I, I, I don't know. You mentioned that just this morning, the Indianapolis 500 – or the Indianapolis Motor Speedway said that the Brickyard 400, which is normally 
uh, well, the NASCAR event there is going to go on without fans. Uh, and, right. And, you know, even if you had tried to limit it on fans, I mean, a place like that can literally see 200,000. And you you could have oh a, god I think I think it's more than that Kevin they, they they never give out the attendance figure but I've been there that that's like a small city I mean it's you know the the idea they're still not going to allow two hundred seventy five thousand people uh, for yeah. the Indy five hundred um, it's the Indy five hundred will go back by the way to August twenty third as of right now so um, yeah I mean this is the next great the next great thing that we're going to face other than restaurants opening and businesses opening, which I think is an entirely totally different thing. Cause you're not dealing with that many people. And that is how do we put people back in seats safely? And um, again, if we do it and you get resurgences be, partly because of that, then like, you know, what have we accomplished? Um, and I understand revenues at stake and I understand things are at stake, but um, sports don't necessarily need to have fan. You know, I, I think the NFL would survive this year because football is a TV sport anyway. Yeah. I mean, we all yeah. know that. And it, you could survive without fans. Wouldn't be the same. Wouldn't be the same, but some sports just, I, I think it's harder, you know? Um, yeah, I, yeah. Hey, look, that's you know, we're gonna to have to we're gonna to have to figure it out. It's um, yeah, it's interesting times. Obviously, all across the board. Uh, hold on here. There's a John Heyman report uh, that came out. Hearing great confidence that there will be baseball this year, even after the players' owners hit a stalemate in talks yesterday. Not sure why this is, but it could be because owners believe Commissioner Cannon may be willing to mandate a shortened fifty-game regular season. That's what I was asking you about. Yeah. But can he do that? He can. And the they players believe. would have no would players would have no recourse? Guess not. So what if Bryce Harper or fifty guys right. like Bryce Harper say, you know what? I ain't playing. Yeah. I'll I'll, for, I'll give up my six million dollars or whatever he was going to get. I mean, could you see that happening? Yeah, I, I, you know, I could see honestly. Players say, "Okay, fifty games." The 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 marquee players. I'm going to sit this one out. Yeah, I could see it. I can totally see it because the season would mean nothing at that point. Whoever would win it, it would be more of a a, a potluck. I mean, look, baseball's playoffs are a little bit of random anyway in a strange sure. way. Once you get into October. Yeah, they are. But it would be like double October of like literally a roulette wheel spin. You know, well, you, I think what Paul, what Paul was saying, you know, like, he, yeah, it, look, there would definitely be an asterisk next to it. Um, but like I said, you know, the Washington Redskins won a Super Bowl in 1982. They played nine regular season games. They were eight and one. That was the shortened season because of a strike. Um, nobody ever refers to that as the Super Bowl that the Redskins won with an asterisk. It's a Super Bowl. The Spurs won the NBA title in 99. Right. There was, you know, nobody ever says that. I think in this case they would say it because it would be so dramatically different. But I guarantee you the team that would be holding the trophy at the end would still put it in their record book and would still count it. And 
ESPN would be there celebrating it and, and you know, people be covering it because that's what we do. We, we, we love sports, and, and, God, the betters would be going nuts. I still think half of this is because of people betting. I really do. I do, too. Um, as much as anything else. Um, but that's the society that we've made for ourselves, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's okay, but, you know, again, if, if uh, you know, Dr. Fauci, I think, just came out. I was reading something the other day. He thinks there's going to be like 100 million vaccines by the end of the year. Yeah. Which seemed incredible to me. What's, and if that's the case, I mean, wow. If the vaccine works, let's, you know, wow. Let's hop, let's hop to another topic here. And this just came, this is something I'm seeing. The guy announced about an hour ago, and we're taping this around noon. Uh, the America East Conference um, has an. That's Drexel's conference? No, that's the CAA. No, yeah, I, 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 yeah, they were in the American East. They point. were in the American East, but uh, <laughs> I'm old, Kevin. <laughs> um, announced that they will make November third, election day, a mandatory day off for every one of their teams across all sports, so the players can go and vote. Awesome. And I'm in. I think, I'm in. I think that's going to be a trend you're going to see here, especially in the light of everything that's happened this week. Um that teams are going or conferences are going to, I think I would not be surprised if that becomes a mandate uh, in light of everything that's happened, Kevin. I think that's a good thing. I would think that this might be, or it should be, I'm not going to say more people should come out and vote this year than any other. I mean, I, I think people should vote anyway, but I understand a lot of people don't. I, I, I get that for whatever your reasons are, um, whatever. If you're going to go out and protest, Okay, or if you're going to protest against the people protesting, however you feel about this country, you should better go out and then vote for it. Because if you don't, then don't bitch about it next year or the year after. You know, and I'm not saying your vote's going to change the world. I, I, you know, but that is your right. That is why it's. This is going to sound goofy to say. The guy in Minnesota, I, I. Forgive, I, I can't think of his name. Um, he died for your right to vote. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you really feel that strongly about it, and I know you might have to stand in line for an hour or so because of, you know, if we're still doing social distancing at that point, it's going to be difficult. It might be, you know, could you imagine if voting had been yesterday in Philadelphia with all that rain and stuff and oh, the winds? It? And, and it would have been nuts, um, which is one reason why mail in voting probably. Should be allowed, but that's a whole other topic. But, but yeah, I, I applaud the Americans for that. Yeah, I do, and I think you're going to see. You know, it's funny you're seeing this more and more that, um, you know, the idea that election day should be a day where the country is able to be activated for that purpose. Uh, I you mean think, just everybody have off? I th- yeah, I'm I'm starting to think that's going to be something that's going to get pushed for. Well, what if we did this, Kevin? What if we moved? Um, What's the holiday that comes right? It, it's uh, isn't that? Um, I'm, I'm losing my mind here. Isn't it like November 11th a holiday um, for the service people for people who have died? Uh, Veterans Day. Veterans Day. Just move. Make Veterans Day Election Day. So whenever you have a not an election like a presidential election, let's say, um, make that the day that you honor the veterans and that you vote. I don't know. Just. You know, because I think people should have off that day to go vote. 
maybe that's the reason some people don't vote. Um, I, I still think the most interesting thing in all this, Kevin, is going to be how the colleges come back. Well, uh, and, and pros are the, the pros are a different animal, right? We recognize that. But but you're seeing now that there's a formula where colleges, and we're going to have David Hale on. I'm hopeful, hopefully next Tuesday, um, from ESPN to talk about college football and kind of where they're going with this. Mm-hmm. In light of everything that's going on, obviously this week and obviously with the pandemic, uh, Notre Dame and a lot of colleges have gone to the open in August, done a Thanksgiving, uh, no fall break kind of schedule, and so would you see? College football maybe adjust their schedule a little bit here going forward to try to get everything done as much by Thanksgiving as possible. So you think they're going to change the SEC title game? Because I don't think so. See, you're you're making too much. It's no, but TV, I mean, there, there's now, there's the SEC title game is scheduled for December the third. I'm just picking out a date on top, of, and the Big Twelve title game and the and all the other title games. They ain't going to switch them to a week earlier so that Auburn doesn't play Alabama on on the twenty. 20- Third of November, so they can. No, 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 no. By, the, not, by the way, Georgia Tech has also joined just now into that thing on election day. So I want to point that out. Good for that. Well, probably a lot of other schools will too, too. I guess. The, the I don't see. I don't think. Maybe I'm naive here. I don't think if you're going to go back to school, and, and you're saying it's August to to Thanksgiving, what's the difference if you have a week off somewhere in the middle for the kids to regroup their minds? It isn't going to make it like if there's a pandemic going on. And is it going to make a difference if you shut the school on Thanksgiving or December the 10th? Well, I don't think so. No, but here's here's the explanation. The difference is that with people traveling um, right, and being, you know, if maybe the exposure at home, you know, you go out with your friends at oh, Thanksgiving okay. and all that. Okay. That, okay. that way yeah. you're pretty much, you're building okay. in almost a two-month gap. So if there is okay. a peak... Yeah. Then it's then it's done. And now you answer me this because I, I I've been trying to pay attention. I hear a lot of talk about how the college football and basketball players are going to come back or to go. Do we hear anything about any other sports? Or yeah. am I, have no, I no, a lot stories? of a lot of them have said that they're going to come back. Okay, yeah, but the only one. It also cares. depends. It also depends. Like in Pennsylvania, and I know some colleges are holding their decisions up because they want to see if there's a timeline for the whole state to go to green. Sure. Sure. So I think when you see that in more states, you're going to have that kind of uh, uh, thing before we go. Uh, we should mention in that uh, best wishes to Pat craft at temple uh, who is leaving for Boston college to become the new athletic director there. Um, like you dealt with Pat. A lot. I dealt with him once or twice. Uh, just your thoughts on his move? I mean, look, I didn't know Pat real, real well because I, I mean, I've been gone two and a half years, and really the last couple years, Mark was sort of more the Temple guy than I was. We had morphed into sort of one paper by that point. Um, I, look, we knew that his goal in life was to get to a Power Five school. I mean, that's the way this business works. You know, I, I'd be lying to you. The Villanova AD. Mark um, Jackson. Mark Jackson, who was bought in there basically to, to raise funds. They wanted to have a guy. And he won two, they won two national titles, so he's raised more funds, um, you know, thanks to Jay. But 
at some point, Mark would like to go to a school that has fo- that has Division One football, mm-hmm. which Villanova doesn't. Um, it's just the way I, I, I think Temple's a tough job, especially now. You know, for all the reasons you've talked about and I've talked about before, you know, their lack of support, um, you know, the league that they're in, um, you know, going forward, you know, now with a lack of revenue, perhaps that they have to deal with. Um, it, it could be a tough, it could be a tough job, but look, there's probably 50 guys lining up that would like it. Um, and, and I, you know, I'm always of the belief that Philadelphia schools are usually better off when they hire Philadelphia guys, guys that get the climate guys that get, and, and Pat was an outside, you know, Pat Kate, they, they, they bought this whole, that whole group in about six, seven years ago from Indiana. And my contention at the time was like, what do they know about North broad? And maybe that's not being fair, you know? But I always felt that there was something about the Philly schools. You know, we had, you know, they, they usually had Philly ads. You know, they had they had Philly coaches. Mm-hmm. They had guys that we kind, you know, to kind of, um, you know, that's why I thought like Matt Rule was great at North. He got North Broad perfectly. Yeah, and I think if they could find an ad, you know, that just got North Broad. You know, I understand it. I I I know it's a tough job. I know. And I, you know, I, I just don't know if that's the way schools go nowadays. You know, schools make no. these national searches and, 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 you know. Well, uh, even think about Temple, like when they got Bill Bradshaw. I mean, Bill, Bill was at Arizona, I think. It, uh, no, no, DePaul. DePaul. But he, he I, DePaul. was Bill at Arizona before that, though? No, Bill was at, um, no, he was at LaSalle. And then he went out to Chicago. He was at DePaul. Okay. For, for a, like, uh, like late, mid to late, like 86 to probably when he came back to Temple, which was like, what, 2003, four, somewhere in there. No, one of the other Temple ADs, or assistant at Frazier, Her, Herm Frazier, he was at Arizona or Arizona State, I actually think it was. Yeah, which we got LaSalle, DePaul, Temple, LaSalle, LaSalle. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. you know, there, I mean, Temple's probably going to face a lot of challenges. Coming up in in the years, I think all the Philadelphia schools are. I think LaSalle, you know, is 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 in, it, you know, it's not easy being LaSalle. No, uh, and it's not going to be easy being. I mean, Villanova's in a different, you know, a different category because of where their basketball program is, and probably the amount that the alumni gives, and and Penn's in a different category too. I mean, you know, Penn's Penn's Penn, um, but it's not easy. It, it's it and you know and it's it's getting. Um, tougher all the time, Kevin, because, yeah. you know, you know that the revenue streams, we don't know what the revenue streams are going to be like. No. And, uh, one final note before we go, um, our, our condolences to the family of Merv Jones. Uh, if you went to a temple event over the last, uh, don't give me bad news here. Yeah. Merv, uh, Merv passed away this week after a long battle of cancer. He was 54. Uh, Merv, I was going to say Merv was not that old. No, uh, Merv had a, a battle of cancer. Uh, oh God, Jesus! So God, that that was announced uh, yesterday afternoon. He, he replaced John McAdams. He did replace John uh, McAdams. I want to say about fifteen years ago. Does that sound about right? Uh, I'm looking at I'm looking at the bio that they have of him on uh, early. Now maybe it was maybe it was when the Apollo came in. Might have been. Which would have been ninety seven. Because John had gotten sick around that point too, remember? Um, yes. So he came um, in when John got sick. 
I'm going to say the Apollo. I'm going to say like 97, 98. Um, so that's 20 some years. That's, that's man. That's, that's, that stinks. Jesus Christ. So Merv, uh, survived by his wife, uh, his children and his, both his parents and, uh, two sisters and a brother. Um, so our condolences to everybody at temple. And obviously, to um, Merv, Merv was as an awesome a guy as he was, and and you're right, yeah. The guys who have had to fill in for John McAdams, John McAdams, in a lot of ways, was the voice of Philadelphia's basketball for uh, forever, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the voice of the Palestra. If you if you ever heard John McAdams call a game, it would instantly be recognized in your brain. But yep. Merv, um, Brian Satari took over at St. Joe's, I think, when when, when John passed. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm, um, yeah, um, yeah. I'm trying to think of the different. Jim, Dan Baker, I think, did a little bit. Yeah, Jim Bach, maybe Jim Bachman out of Villanova is their PA announcer, and Jim does a good job. Um, the guy who took over at the Palestra when after John passed, he's very good. He's very good. Um, and I, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm losing. You know, John's been dead for 15 years. Yeah, John is. It, yeah, you know, we always talk about the voices of Philadelphia and the pantheon of voices of Philadelphia. John McAdams to me is right up there. Like well, you got because he never you got John Facenda. Yeah, you got Harry Callis, Merle. you have Rich Merle for sure, Gene Hart. Yep. Um, and actually, I mean, look, it's funny now, but I mean, guys like Jimmy Jackson right. have been doing it for a quarter of a century too. So. Well, I mean, they're as much a part of us as those guys for college ba- for college basketball. Al Meltzer. From, what, sure. from his time sure. with the Big But five. John McAdams, if you went to a game, uh, especially at the Pluster, like you said, um, you, you you know you heard John's voice. I mean, it, you know, that, that was And it, that was it wasn't a yeller or a screamer. It was just John. No. And, and Merv was a lot of the same way. Merv was not a yeah. yeller or a screamer. And so... Um, well, I think they wanted him to be a little more... Um, how can I put this? More in with the with the younger crowd. You know, yeah. and the Temple changed the way they did the, every school, not just Temple. It's not you know, it's not just Temple, but it makes you think, Kevin, when you think about growing up in this city mm-hmm. as a sixty-two-year-old guy, how lucky we are. Oh yeah, that you can rattle off, and we left some names out. Trust me, we left some names out. Uh, that you can rattle off that list and just go, oh my. God, and then when you couple it with the list of people whose stories we read, yeah, the the Paul Hagens, the Stan Hockmans, the Ray Didingers, the on and on and on and on and on, Frank Dolson, um, and as I always go back to the coaches, the people that we dealt with, mm-hmm. like ninety eight percent of them were great guys. Yeah, there, there was a couple that came through that we weren't so sure about, but just like there was a couple writers that came through, maybe we weren't so sure about. But I'm telling you. This town is a sports town. I'm not saying it's the best. Other, t- but but we're right up there in the conversation. We just yeah. are, and it's because of the people. Yep. It's not necessarily because of our teams. It's because of the people who are involved with us enjoying those teams. Yep. So. And you were a part of that, and I was a part of that, and and I was a minor part of that. Wait, you weren't you you. Look, I was a minor part when you put me up against some of those guys. I mean, you know. I, um, I, I had a seat. That was it. I was lucky to have a seat. Yeah, but having a seat in this town, 
you know, not such a bad thing. Oh, no. You know, it's 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 not such a bad thing. Um, yeah, it's. I'm so sorry to hear about Merv. Yep. Uh, God. All right, Mike. We'll see you on Tuesday. Okay, babe. Thanks, man. Our thanks to Paul Hager for joining us. Our thanks for you to join us. Stay safe this weekend. Everybody be good. This has been... We're going to be...